Virginia breaks back into the top 10, the Hokies are fighting to stay in the hunt in the ACC, and North Carolina puts the conference in an awkward position, leading to yet another cancellation. All that and the life of college officials during a pandemic. That and more this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 40 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and here joining me as always, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you? Good morning, Mike. I'm fine. Hope you and Dean are doing well, too. Excellent here. And I'm curious, what was Super Bowl weekend, Super Bowl Sunday like in the Teal residence? It was very quiet, actually. Uh, My wife and daughter went over to grandma's house after church, and I was flying solo. So I had a very peaceful and busy work day. That actually sounds pretty good. Now, were they back for the game, or did you get to watch the game solo? No, I was I was flying solo for the game as well. I think that sounds good. <laughs> I, oh, I know people love the people love the gathering. They love the houseful. Obviously, in the pandemic, we can't have that. But I've always I've always enjoyed. I mean, I'll, I'll give you this example. Um, although it ended poorly for the team I was rooting for, um, when the Yankees played the Diamondbacks in the World Series, and the series ended up going to Game Seven in Arizona, I yeah. have been meeting with friends and going to bars and, and going to people's houses and watching all the games and game seven, I, I turned off my phone. <laughs> I locked the door. I, I sat alone in my apartment and watched. And um, certainly that ended up being a disappointing ending for me, but uh, <laughs> I think sometimes that's the way to do it. Now, being on your own, did you have any any Super Bowl food? Did you get yourself a spread? No, 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 no. I mean, I, I fixed up some pasta and poured a glass of wine, but nothing, uh, nothing elaborate by any stretch. Well, despite not having a Super Bowl party <laughs> or people over, we did the full Super Bowl party spread. And I have to give credit to my wife because I spent the day uh, obsessing over my chili making sure it had the right amount of, of roast jalapenos, the right amount of chipotle uh, peppers. My kids spent the day watching the Puppy Bowl. Um, the, 19, the 19-month-old was just mesmerized by so many dogs on, on his big screen TV. Uh, and that left <laughs> Elizabeth to handle the, the cooking for uh, everything else, the pigs in blankets, the buffalo chicken dip, the deviled eggs. So um, Tom Brady was great, but I, I thought my wife was the Super Bowl MVP for me over here. Sounds like it. Now, in terms of the game, David, Tom Brady winning Super Bowls, it's uh, <laughs> its a story we're familiar with. Where, where do you put that guy kind of on, on your Mount Rushmore of champions, of, of guys who, who get it done and get it done in the postseason? Well, if we're talking team sports, then he, I mean he's right up there with Bill Russell, who won how many NBA championships two handfuls, right? Mm-hmm. And how many World Series did Yogi Berra win? Not only a, a, as player, but but also a, a manager. Um, you, you go to like Jean Beliveau in, in hockey to date myself. I'm not sure how many <laughs> times he hoisted the Stanley Cup for Cana- the Montreal Canadiens. But then, you know, then if you d- delve into individual sports, then you're talking Serena and Tiger and Federer and Nicholas, and we could go on. It's a pretty good list. And for the record, uh, just because I am a Yankees fan, Yogi Berra won ten World Series rings. I want to make go. sure. I want to make sure he gets his due. Uh, now we're still a, a little ways away before anybody's going to get championship rings for this basketball season, uh, and the road is still bumpy. It's Ooh. it's been. Another rough week for the ACC schedule. Both UVA and Tech potentially being impacted here. Uh, The Hokies are scheduled Saturday to play Louisville. That program has been on a pause uh, since last week due to some COVID tests. We'll get into the Cardinal situation here in a minute. But let's start today with the mess that is in Chapel Hill. Miami's basketball Mm -hmm. team had already traveled there for a game against the Tar Heels Monday night um, when the ACC announced, and this was their wording, that the teams had mutually agreed to to call it off. Now, Jim Laranega shares the the apparent reason for this. 
a video that was unearthed and, and published by the student newspaper at UNC, the Daily Tar Heel, that showed two Carolina players, one of them being Richmond's own Armando Baycott, uh, partying with a small group of students after the Duke win Saturday. And David, nobody had a mask on. It's a clear violation of, of your COVID safety protocols. What do we make of this? It's big trouble is, is what it is. And I don't blame Miami in the least because not only, Mike, did you have that video that the Daily Tar Heel got off Snapchat, but you also had thousands of people congregating on Franklin Street Saturday night after Carolina's victory over Duke. I'm sure they weren't wearing masks. Then they're going back to campus. Who knows who they were in contact with? Were they in contact with anyone that Dayron Sharp and Armando Baycott were with that evening? I mean, and, and then Carolina practices on Sunday. So Baycott and Sharp are with their teammates. And I've heard it suggested, but they all tested negative so why not play the game or why not wait till Tuesday or Wednesday? But if we've learned anything during this COVID season, it's that the virus takes time to incubate. And, you know, these guys could be positive. It just won't show up for several days, which is why Saturday's game in Charlottesville between Carolina and UVA is very much in depth. Yeah, and I'm glad you said it that way. It's interesting to me how many people have not learned that, right? Like th these things come up. This is not new science that, that we know this about the virus, that you can contract it. You cannot test positive for um, you know a day, a week, 10 days, but be carrying it, be spreading it, and then you, you test positive. And um, I think the ACC and the coaches and, and the people involved understand it, but it's interesting how many times this comes up, especially with fans who say, well, if you're not positive today, go play. And, and it's just, that's not the way any of this works. Uh, David, what, what is Roy Williams to do with Armando Baycott, with Dayron Sharp? What, what, I mean, th this is not an egregious offense if we are not during a pandemic, right? <laughs> They're just, oh, no. <laughs> this is normal college kid behavior. There's absolutely nothing wrong, except that. We are in a pandemic, and they are being asked to follow these really strict guidelines, and, and these two guys didn't do it. What should Roy Williams do here? I'm not sure what I'd do, and I'm not sure what the internal conversations have been during the, during the season. You know, has he told them, if we have breaches, this will be your punishment? I mean, the one situation I can compare it to, Mike, and I don't know that Roy will be this draconian, is back in August, Louisville dismissed three men's soccer players and suspended three others because an off-campus gathering turned into something more than it should have been ended up infecting a bunch of people and shut down four Louisville teams during their preseason workouts. And, and I remember asking Justin Fuente shortly after that, what would you do if your players, if any of your players breach protocol like that? And he, he just looked at me and he's like, that is one tough question. And I don't know the answer. And I'm not sure what Roy Williams will do. There has to be some kind of penalty, though, for these two young men. And I wonder how they're viewed in the locker room. You know, because this is this is a breach of trust. They've they've cost their teammates a chance to play a game, maybe more, and they may have infected their teammates. You you do not know. Yeah, and it comes at a time when, and I know this is the smaller issue, but it comes at a time where Carolina, you know, coming off the the Duke game, I mean, they're feeling pretty good, and and you know, this is a team that was building some momentum, and and people were talking mm -hmm. about could get back in the ACC race here. Now, you bring up a great point about how teammates will view them, and I ask this question knowing that you don't know the answer, I don't know the answer, but are we being a bit naive to think that because we saw this video? this is the first time or one of the few times it happened, or is this happening a lot more than we realize and it just hasn't ended up on Snapchat? Oh, 
No question. I, I don't think I'm naive at all. <laughs> I mean, I know it's been a long time since I went to college, but I, I think I still recall pretty clearly the mentality of, of a college student and pandemic or no, of, of course this goes on. I mean, just again, we referenced Saturday night on Franklin Street. I mean, look at what happened and be you athlete or not you're not going to be immune to, to that behavior. So I'm sure it happens far more frequently than we know about and probably far more frequently than the coaches know about. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. But I also think that for a large part, these athletes have been tremendously responsible um, mm-hmm. above and beyond, you know, above and beyond what you would expect, maybe what we predicted going in. Um, but that's why when when there are these very public kind of breaches of protocol. And, and to your point, it threatens so much more than just that day or that game, that next game. I mean, mm-hmm. an outbreak, as we've seen, can take a team out for two weeks. An outbreak can lead to people getting sick. And with these coaches, right, Roy Williams is, is not a young man. <laughs> You're endangering your coaches, your staff, mm-hmm. everybody around the program. So um, while overall, I think College athletes have been sensational, it really, in handling this and navigating this. I think you're right that um, this has probably happened before. It will probably happen again. Um, and it's just another obstacle to getting through the season. You mentioned, hey, Carolina's supposed to play Virginia Saturday. We don't know if that's going to happen now. The Hokies, they're scheduled to play Louisville, but the Cardinals haven't practiced since last week. Now, Coach Chris Mack and at least three of their players have tested positive. Assistant Coach Dino Gaudio, who's filling in for Chris Mack, he's the former Wake Forest coach, so obviously plenty of experience there. He told us this week that the earliest the team could get back to practicing would be Wednesday, and even then, it wouldn't have a full roster. David, do you think we see Louisville, Virginia Tech on Saturday? I, I, I don't know. I don't know how Louisville will approach this. Will it take the Boston College tact and say, "Oh yeah, we have uh, f- four scholarship players. That's enough. Let's let's go play." I, you know, we don't know the, the the raw numbers of of what they have. You know, they have three players who have tested positive plus Chris Mack. What's that mean, contact tracing wise? How how many others are available? You know. I'm certainly not optimistic that we will see either game on Saturday. Carolina, UVA, Louisville, Virginia Tech. I hope I'm wrong on both counts. I hope we get both. I think it'd be a heck of a heck of an afternoon. But man, um, you know, we're up to 28 games on the conference schedule that have been postponed so far. So I don't like our chances of going two for two. That's for sure. Yeah, the, the odds are not in our favor. Now, we talked about that Miami-North Carolina situation, and, and Miami had, had already traveled. That brings us to this week's Take It or Leave It. Thank you, Mike. In a situation like the uh, Miami-North Carolina one on Monday night, where a game is apparently canceled due to one team's failure to uphold COVID safety measures, the offending team should forfeit the game. Take it or leave it. Let's start with David. It's a great question, and you know the. <laughs> please excuse the language. The hard ass in me wants <laughs> to say yes, forfeit the game, but the softy in me, and I'll, I'll lean soft here, is that this has been a collaborative effort from the start uh, um, among everyone players, coaches, administrators, officials, you name it. Did somebody make a mistake? Absolutely. And I'm not sure what would a forfeit mean in in, in the big picture. I don't think it would mean much. Miami, you know, in terms of a one lost record. So no, I'm going to leave it, forget the forfeit, just postpone it like every other one because there there are some you know are, are we going to go back and look at every other postponement and say okay you're the team that tested positive how did you get it was it because you breached protocol or was there some other reason i just think it it's a very slippery slope if you try to assess blame thanks david mike 
Yeah, we're on the same page. And, and the second thing you mentioned there, the last thing you mentioned is the main reason for me. I'm all about justice. <laughs> and how can you possibly force Carolina to forfeit this game without knowing who is to blame in all the other situations? And maybe nobody was, you know, but maybe there was. Maybe somebody did something wrong. And, and we just don't know. And the fact that this one happened to end up on Snapchat, I don't think you can put in a forfeit. Now, you bring up a great point. Who cares, <laughs> right? I mean, if you, if you get a forfeit win or a forfeit loss, the NCAA selection committee isn't going to look back and say, well, Miami beat Carolina on that Monday night by forfeit. So it, it, to me, it's almost more symbolic. That, that made me go into this question thinking, yeah, maybe you do it as a slap on the wrist that says, hey, there's consequences. But it, it just it could not be administered evenly. And I'm always against justice in any situation that can't be administered evenly you just you just don't know how we got to so many of these cases so i'm going to leave it now virginia basketball whether they play saturday or not uh back in the top 10 they do have a game wednesday against georgia tech sam hauser really heating up he's the acc player of the week david how much do we like what we're seeing from from tony bennett's team and how much do we still have some questions uh, particularly on the defensive side well, I think they're they're sitting there atop the ACC standings with only one conference loss, uh, nine and one in the league, thirteen and three overall. Here's a stat for you, Mike: Virginia's won two straight, which ties for the longest winning streak <laughs> in the ACC. <laughs> which tells you, which goes back to the story you wrote last week on how inconsistent. Everyone has been, you know, except, you know, Virginia is the only team to, to throw together a winning streak of at least six games in, in the conference this season. So, yeah, I, I think there's plenty to like there. You know, they still don't have a signature win, really. You know, what, Clemson, I guess, w- w- would be the one. But, but otherwise, you know, the schedule has not really afforded them any opportunities since Gonzaga to really have a, an eye-popping victory. But, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're progressing, playing well. Obvious questions on the defensive end. Tony Bennett labeled Saturday's performance as poor. Um, I'm not, not sure I would uh, agree totally with that assessment, but but they had some moments against Pitt where the defense was lacking, no question. Yeah, I think it's always important when you're talking about Virginia's defense to understand the ridiculously high bar that Tony Bennett has for that group, right? right? They they are going to lead the nation in points against. They're going to be um, the nation's leader in, in defensive efficiency. That, that, that is what the goal is, and, and that's the standard. And um, you know, I thought Jeff Capel made a great point when he said to me, uh, I asked him about, you know, Virginia's defense maybe not being what it's been. And uh, he kind of laughed and said, yeah, it's it's top 10 instead of number one. So <laughs> that that's the slippage there. Now, there is a difference in this defense. We talked about it a little bit last week. I had the chance to talk to Akil Mitchell for a story I did about um, just the way that they play at the back end of the pack line. And Akil Mitchell, Darian Atkins, Isaiah Wilkins, Mamadi Diakite, they were very athletic guys. They were guys who could get out and help and, and drop back uh, to still protect the rim. Uh, the way they played ball screen defense. Jay Huff, who is a great player and a great shot blocker, is a different style of player. And it's meant a different kind of defense. I asked Tony Bennett about that this week. You know, we're different this year. I think Sam is a, you know, he's he's a position player. He's smart. He's heady. Jay's long. Um, but we don't have that probably elite athletic front court player um so again you do it we try to be good um with our perimeter guys guarding the ball um not as much you know Caden has been Caden's active um but he's been you know out for such a long time hopefully he'll develop into that uh Trey Murphy's new he's playing a little more of the perimeter so right now we don't have a guy that's similar to that and that's that's important. You watch the good teams, but you, you use what you have and try to be as good, as we said, positionally and collectively. Yeah. And to your point, Virginia's been good defensively. They just have been a little different, maybe a little more um, susceptible to points in the paint. We, we saw that against NC State. We saw that against Pitt. We certainly saw that with Keve Aluma's big game against them. Uh, but overall, David, this defense, I mean, to me, I'll ask you, is this defense good enough to win the ACC? Yes. 
Absolutely. I mean, not, not number one, you know, we're not talking, the ACC is not the Big Ten or, or the Big 12 this season. It, it just isn't. And it's been good enough so far, so no reason it can't continue to be. You know, we, we were talking yesterday via email about Ken Palm's defensive efficiency ratings. Now, I haven't checked them this morning. They, they changed daily. But yesterday afternoon, Virginia was 25th which would end a streak of seven consecutive years in which the Cavaliers have been top 10. And in two of those years, they were number one. So, yeah, it's, it's not as good as the, the, the program has been and as good as Tony Bennett expects. But still, top 25 among 350-plus teams, that's still pretty darn good. Yeah, and, and leading the ACC in points allowed in a year when Virginia's really good offensively. So if you're mm-hmm. holding opponents to the fewest points in the league and you're better at scoring, is it a slightly different formula? Sure, but it's a formula that, that can certainly work. Now, you mentioned that the schedule hasn't really tested them in, in conference. Um, the Virginia Tech game kind of stands out. The, the Clemson wins a quality win. Um, but this little stretch coming up here, that might answer a lot of questions and starts with Georgia Tech here, with Jose Alvarado, with a team, David, that you've been telling me since the preseason you really like, and, and that's certainly been playing out on the court. Um, what do you see in this matchup? Well, it's a, it's a rematch of a couple of weeks ago in Charlottesville where UVA was darn lucky mm-hmm. to escape. I mean, Michael DeVoe got a good look at that three <laughs> from, from the right wing right in front of Josh Pasner and the bench, and it, it goes begging, and Virginia walks away with, with a two-point victory. It goes down, and, and Georgia Tech is celebrating. Now, you mentioned Jose Alvarado. I mean, he is – he's first-team All-ACC right now, if you ask me. I mean, he is their, their heart and soul, literally. He's so good defensively. Tony Bennett said yesterday on the ACC Zoom – he said, defenders, you can see it in their eyes, mm-hmm. just the, the intensity. And you can see Bennett just lighten up talking about it because he so appreciates defense. And Alvarado leads the league in steals at better than three a game. Oh, by the way, he had six in the first meeting against the Cavaliers. And you, you've got him and DeVoe in the backcourt. You've got Moses Wright. You've got Parm. They got some pieces now. But I, I'll tell you what, it's going to be interesting to watch, Mike. Tomorrow night, we're taping this Tuesday morning. The, the, the game is Wednesday. But that's the first of four games in seven days for the Yellow Jackets. And Josh Pasner has a short bench to begin with. It, it's going to be... So intriguing to watch him attempt to manage minutes. Yeah, quite the challenge. And uh, that's, of course, assuming (laughs) that all those games get played. And we certainly hope they do. Speaking of games we hope get played after Georgia Tech, again, assuming these games happen, you'd be looking at North Carolina and Florida State. To me, those are the two opponents that are most likely to exploit or expose what I wrote about that we mentioned that that maybe softness in the interior defense for UVA, the lack of toughness um, on the boards, that kind of stuff. Those are the two matchups I'm most interested to see to see if UVA can really hold up and, and finish this season off. Because they're, I mean, both the Tar Heels and Seminoles are big and long and deep. Now, Baycott and Sharp you know, the, the the two offenders in the video, they are two immense cogs in that Carolina front line. Even if the game happens, are they in uniform? You know, is, is Roy going to play them? Is he going to sit them for a game or more? I don't know. If, you know, the, the, the more I sit here and, and think about it, I think you have to lose some kind of playing time for that kind of breach. Yeah, I, I think you're right, and it would then <laughs> eliminate a huge part of that aspect. Again, and, and this is just from the UVA angle, what I want to see. I want to see them against a front court like that. Mm-hmm. I want to see them against size and depth. And 
David, what's some good physical toughness in the front court? Carolina, you know, people talk about them running the floor, and, and certainly that's been a hallmark under Roy Williams. But it isn't just that they're big up front. They're big and physical up front. Florida State is big and physical and athletic and deep. That's the matchup that I really want to see. So I think there's a chance, again, if we get these games in, that we're going to know a lot more about Virginia and its sustainability uh, after this next little stretch here. Now, well, and not only that, the the the, the Carolina Florida State that's a Saturday Monday. You know, <laughs> that's that classic NCAA tournament like turnaround, and that even adds to the intrigue for me. Yeah, it's a, a really good stretch again, and you know we don't know what's going to happen with all of it, but it's a really good stretch of uh, Virginia's schedule that you're looking at where um, you know there's a chance that they're going to be really tested over the next one, two. I mean, Duke, we, we say what we will about Duke being down, but there's still a ton of talent. Pitt, I think we both think Pitt's a really good team. Um, there's a stretch here that, that's really going to reveal a lot about UVA. Now, the Hokies, they split their games last week. They dropped to number 18 in the latest AP poll after losing Wednesday night to that Pittsburgh team, and they needed a buzzer beater from Hunter Couture to force overtime and eventually beat Miami. In that game, Jalen Cohn suffered an ankle injury, kept him out for most of the night. Uh, Tech, of course, is still playing without Tyrese Radford, who was suspended. David, are you more impressed that the Hokies pulled out that game at Miami or more concerned with how close they came uh, to losing two in a row? Yeah, I'd lean toward the latter there. I mean, hey, that's great. You ran a nice out-of-bounds set, and Hunter Couture makes an absolute dagger to, to force overtime, and Joe Bamisil was terrific in relief of Jalen Cohn. But that's a very depleted Miami squad. I mean, they've been without four returning starters for most of the season, you know, including top scorer Chris Likes, who was preseason All-ACC, their little point guard. And that could have easily gone the other way. And the Hokies would be, you know, on a little two-game dip there. So you, you thank your lucky stars if you're Mike Young that, that you got out of there on the right side. But plenty of work to do. And I mean, it's a good time for the Hokies to have a week off. Yeah, they do have this sort of odd uh, break. Considering all the games that have been postponed, you'd think they'd want to get one in. But um, as you and I were, were talking about, there, there's not really an opponent um, that could slide mm-hmm. in midweek anyway. And uh, it right. would be interesting this weekend. Now, David, we've, we've talked about this before. This weekend, if we get word on Wednesday that the Louisville game is off, that the Carolina game is off, that would seem to shape up nicely for a date for Virginia Tech and UVA to make up their game. Do you think we see it? If both games are postponed early enough, then yes, I, I, I think we would. I, I know the, the Virginia staff, or I don't know, I suspect the Virginia staff could be a little skittish about it simply because of, the again, the short turnaround to Florida State on Monday. But that's the way the schedule was originally set up. And I, I think the ACC would say, come on, guys. This is a rivalry game. Let's get the second one played. You guys played a heck of a game the first time around. There, there was so much drama there with the way Virginia Tech came back. You know the, the Virginia players have to be itching to get another crack at the Hokies. So if by Wednesday or Thursday those two games were postponed, I would say yes, we would see Tech at UVA on Saturday. Yeah, when I asked Tony Bennett about just rescheduling that game in general, he, he was pretty adamant. He said, I'm not going to get pushed into um, rescheduling it. I'm not going to get pushed into playing it unless it makes sense for my team. I think the fact that in this case, it would be the front end of the Saturday, Monday um, makes it more mm-hmm. appealing as opposed to coming on short rest. Um, assuming that that all plays out that way, I, I would love to see that again, but I also would love to see the games as they are on the schedule. So who knows? Now, David, you mentioned the emergence of, of a Richmonder, Joe Bamisil, and, and how uh, good and important he was against Miami. Um, 
what do we see from him? And, and you know, Mike Young, I thought, made it pretty clear that that wasn't a, a one-game stint there. He, he's earned his way into the rotation. What did he say? That he would play before the first TV timeout. Yeah. In Virginia Tech's next game, and I, I was like, "Wow, did, did I hear him correctly?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 <laughs> early now. So yeah, he's clearly earned it. I think one thing we know about Young Joe, he is not scared by any stretch or bashful. He he is a scorer. He's got a scorer's mentality. He knows how to get his own. He looks for his own, not in a selfish way, but just in an aggressive, confident manner. Yeah, he told us after the game, he said, and I'm quoting him here, I'm a pretty offensive-minded player, so whenever I get on the court, I usually try to be aggressive on that end of the floor. I'm, I'm actually working on a story right now about Joe and, and his impact, and I thought it was interesting, too, Mike Young, he praised him defensively. You, you know Joe Bamisole's a great offensive player. You know he's got that confidence. He's going to have an impact there, but I thought the interesting thing that Mike Young brought up um, and, and what I'm writing about here was Joe's understanding of the scouting report, who to press up on, who to play off. So it wasn't just, you know, here's your role kind of loosely and you're playing defense. He really understood what Tech was trying to do based on Miami's personnel. And and that is something that sometimes takes freshmen a little while, right? You kind of know what you're supposed to do, but then tweaking it and adjusting it for who is on the court for the other team, that's hard. That's that's next level stuff. And uh, Mike Young praised Joe Bamisil for not just playing well on defense and knowing his positioning and, and doing those things right, but understanding the scouting report, understanding his assignment. Well, I think it's even more impressive, Mike, for someone who had been playing so few minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's easy to check out when, you know, when the coaches are droning on about the scouting report, but <laughs> you're, think, you're sitting there thinking – I'm not going to play. You know, I I don't need to know Isaiah Wong's tendencies that much if I'm not going to have to check him. But clearly he was paying attention and it 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 paid dividends. Yeah, coaches won't always admit it, but you don't know during the week, right? A guy might look engaged, a guy might look aloof. You don't really know what they're absorbing and understanding and grasping until you throw them out there. And, uh, you know, Mike said that too. He said, hey, you don't prepare to play well when your number's called. It's too late at that point. (laughs) You have to prepare to play well when your number Mm -hmm. isn't being called. And then when it is, you show what you've got. And, And Joe Bamisil did that. Now, he was playing. He was getting all those minutes. Again, the Jalen Cohn suffered a left ankle injury early. Mike didn't have an update yet on, on Jalen Cohn. Certainly hopeful he can get back. But also because of Tyrese Radford's situation. And that um, that remained the hot topic, especially after uh, Tech released a statement that seemed to indicate Radford's return could be imminent. I asked Mike Young on Monday to maybe clarify uh, what they meant there. Mike, it's ongoing. Let's leave it at that. I uh, I, I regret uh, that the uh, the statement was uh, was confusing. That was not uh, my intent. Uh, we're still uh, we're still looking at uh, at some things. Uh, Tyrese Radford has been awesome after a uh, after a mistake uh, was made. Uh, he recognizes uh, his um, his failings. He recognizes uh, that he's put us all in a uh, bad light, but. Um, yeah, he's uh, done great work um, uh, here uh, in this community. Uh, he's uh, checked every box, uh, but uh, you know, again, uh, that situation is uh, is ongoing, and nothing has been determined. Uh, you know, at this uh, at this point, David, hearing Mike Young talk right there, do you think we see Tyrese Radford again this season? Like this is purely my interpretation. No one is telling me this. And I, I just want to stress that this is not any insider information, but I think, yes, we will see Tyrese Radford again this season. I think that's the, the fair read. Again, not necessarily agreeing or disagreeing. I think that's a fair read of listening to Mike's words, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think he's making it clear um, how he feels about Tyrese Radford. Um, I think he's making it clear that, you know, we don't have all the details probably uh, about the situation. Um, certainly it's 
a punishable offense. He had a DWI uh, and also um, a concealed weapon charge. Now, it's interesting. I'd like to ask Mike Young at some point, the fact that, that happened in season, um, is that another level? Certainly the crime is the, is the issue and the misdemeanor, the charge, that's, that's the big deal. But as a coach, how do you feel about the fact that Tyrese Radford was in that position during the season while you're trying to pursue an, an ACC title and, and all those things. Um, but I think it's clear to your point uh, and from Mike's soundbite there that he certainly hasn't soured on Tyrese Radford. No, he, he clearly has not. And while his intent clearly was, was not to create confusion with the statement that he issued Saturday morning informing folks that Tyrese Radford had indeed traveled with the team to Miami but would not be playing. That statement made clear that there is a path for him to play this season. And you know that, that's the statement they put out. So I take them at their word. Yeah, and, and you know, I'll reserve judgment on what should happen, but I do think that it's interesting and, and maybe in some ways good and, and not done enough that Mike has Tyrese back traveling with the team, back with the – you don't want to cut a kid off uh, because he's made a mistake. Now, I'm not saying you put him back in uniform and put him on the floor, but I think it makes a lot of sense. If you're saying, hey, I believe in Tyrese Radford, I believe he's going to still be a, a good contributor um, to the Virginia Tech community and part, obviously, of the basketball program, why not have him kind of closer under your wing? I mean, these guys are educators. They want to have a good impact on these kids' lives. So people who criticize the fact that Radford could travel with the team or – to me, that almost makes more sense. Like, hey, if you have a kid who's getting himself in a little bit of, of trouble off the court, well, let's keep him as close to the court as we can. Absolutely. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Mike. I, th- I think it is appropriate for him to be with his team. And by doing that, I think it even drives home the point further of you're saying to Tyrese Radford, see what you're missing? You, yeah. you could you, you could be out there and he's he's seeing it you know in person he's looking and watching his teammates sweat and dive on the floor and you know get chewed out in, d- during breaks and play and the ebbs and flows and i think it it just further reminds the young man of what he put in jeopardy when he got behind the wheel That's a great point. It reminds me of the athletes who lose a championship and hang around in the dugout or on the field or in the tunnel to watch the other team celebrate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Seeing it in front of you and and, and feeling that sting, it it certainly in the world of athletics um, has always proven to be a a great motivator. Now, looking at this team with or without Radford, they're 14-4. and They have some nice wins, UVA, Villanova, Clemson, Duke, whatever that means at this point. Uh, David, has this team done enough, even if it struggles over the final seven games, and and I don't mean go 0-7, but even if it struggles down the stretch here, has this team done enough to make the NCAA tournament? Stone, cold, lock. Yeah, Virginia Tech's going to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I I mean... (laughs) I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, it's... (laughs) Those are as impressive a group of wins as anybody in the conference has. And I just, and it may not even be close. So, yes, you know, know, barring 0-7, which is not going to happen yet. Virginia Tech's going to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I think there could be struggles down the stretch that that maybe make it a little more interesting a topic. But two things. One, I think the ACC is still going to get – uh, you know, at least five teams into the tournament, right? Even in a down year. I think it's such an odd year to evaluate. And we've talked about this and you've written about this. It's going to be such an odd year for the committee to evaluate. Um, but with the games played, with the wins, with the quality wins, you got to figure that whatever metric they kind of come up with, uh, even if it's sort of privately in that room of, of how to hash it out, you got to think the Hokies look pretty good. Yes. And and, and I'll be interested, Mike, just because I'm a nerd, but on, on, on Saturday and conceivably during the first half of Virginia Tech's game against Louisville at Castle Coliseum at 1230, 
the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee, which is having its um, pre-selection gathering this weekend to, to, to go over some things, will release its preliminary top 16 seats. And basically saying, if the tournament started today, here would be the top four seeds in each of the four re- regions. I believe Virginia Tech and UVA will both be in that uh, top 16. I think you're right. And then we have that on the list for next week to kind of break down uh, that. And and also you had mentioned earlier, you know, first team all ACC. I have that on the list. So you're prepared for next week as well to <laughs> kind of set the stage for this stretch run. Now, like Virginia, Tech still has to play Florida State and North Carolina uh, uh, this year, assuming those games happen. And uh, that brings us to this week's Who You Got? Thank you, Mike. Looking at the ACC right now, who is the biggest threat to Virginia atop the ACC standings? Who you got? Let's start with David. Florida State. They're sitting there. It's it's six and two, a game behind UVA in the lost column, a game ahead of Virginia Tech and Louisville in the lost column. The Seminoles have won. 24, 25 consecutive home games against ACC competition. I like that. Team is deep. Now currently on a, on a COVID pause, but the last time Leonard Hamilton's team paused for COVID, <laughs> they came out of the gates and won five straight, four of them blowouts. So I'm, I'm not worried uh, about them coming off that pause. I think Florida State, to me, is clearly the number one challenger to UVA. Thanks, David. Now, Mike? I've wanted to get on board with North Carolina. Um, I, I think there's a ton of talent. I think that team's really good. But to me, as I look at them, they're kind of like a not-as-good version of Florida State, <laughs> just what David said. Uh, Florida State, I don't know why. I guess because it's not a traditional basketball power. It's known more as a football school. Um and it's coach Leonard Hamilton. They seem to fly under the radar, no matter how good they are. <laughs> They've been really good for a long time. Leonard Hamilton has been really good for a long time. Hey, by the way, they were the best team in the ACC during the regular season last year. Yeah. Uh, this is not a fluke or a surprise or, or an ebb and flow. Florida state is in many ways, they're building and doing what Virginia did. And they're in that weird stage where for whatever reason, they're not getting the recognition. And I I think maybe this is the year that they get over the hump there. I think it's very possible, you know, as, as as well as, as, as they can defend and as, as deep as they go, is it a potential final four squad? I believe so. Yeah. And, you know, that would just be the capstone to Leonard Hamilton's career, you know, what he did at Miami back when the Hurricanes were in the Big East and then what he's done since getting to Florida State. You know, those are those are two really hard jobs, and he excelled at both. Yeah, well said. I mean, Leonard Hamilton, to me, is one of the most underrated coaches uh, in, in the nation. One of the good guys, too. Great man, guy, right? yeah. Um, which is funny, because usually when you're that beloved by the media, um, they go and make sure that you know you get your due. And, and Leonard Hamilton, for my money, has not gotten his due yet. Um, another group of people that don't always get their due, David. <laughs> nice <laughs> segue. And you took the time to write about them. Um, officials, the ACC officials, college basketball officials in general, um, what they're going through this year. And, you know, I thought the lead of your story on this, and people, <laughs> if, you, if you haven't read it, uh, go find David's story on, on the officiating with the ACC and, and what that's like. But your lead kind of explaining what the officials go through just in their hotel rooms testing themselves. Take yeah. us through that and then some of the other things that this group – has to do to be that third team on the court that, that you have to have where there's no season. Right. I mean, what, what, what did, I think it was Brad Brownell yesterday when I was asking him about it on, on the coaches zoom called them an integral part of what we do. And he's, and he's right. But yeah, I was fascinated when, when Brian Kersey, the ACC supervisor of officials and also the Atlantic 10 and the, in the CAA said, these guys are testing themselves three times a week. And I, I, I said, what? Really? He said, 
Yeah. He said, they probably have a groove carved into their nose <laughs> where they know to put the suave. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So when I subsequently spoke with Ron Groover, who could not have been nicer, and he was at a hotel in Richmond <laughs> when we talked, getting ready to drive down to Old Dominion for a game and then up to Charlottesville for Saturday's UVA-Pittsburgh game. But he described you know, how he has to do it and how it's kind of become second nature. They even had a training video for them to, to show them how to self-administer these COVID tests. And yeah, he darkens his hotel room. And then once he, you know, takes the swab out, he uses his cell phone flashlight to make sure it's sufficiently saturated because if it's not, the test could come back inconclusive. That means you have to retest. You can't work your next game if, if your test comes back inconclusive. So once it's saturated, he's got to put it in a test tube. Then he's got to race to the FedEx store, get a tracking number, put that in his app, and then make sure it gets to Mako Medical, which is the lab in the triangle down there in North Carolina where they process it. So, yeah, these guys, they are sacrificing too. And in Groover's case, you know, he, he took early retirement from Hertz rental car back in 2015. I mean, he's still a relatively young man, but he'd been working for Hertz for 25 years. So he has this luxury. He's only returned to his Georgia home three times hmm. since the season started. He's got three kids in college and his wife is super supportive. And he just, he's living on the road because he doesn't want to expose his family, himself, or those he officiates to the virus. Yeah, David, we talk so much about the challenge for the players and the coaches, and it is. It's, it's, it's an immense challenge. I don't know how the officials are getting this done when you bring up just what you brought up. They're going from game to game. They're not working once or twice a week, right? David, how many games are, are these guys calling in a given week? Well, in a normal season, <laughs> these guys work 85 to 100 games in a year. They won't approach that this season, obviously. But Groover told me in, in one week, he was supposed to work six times. <laughs> you know how many times he worked? Twice. <laughs> Four of them wiped out. And oh, by the way, we were talking about Carolina, Miami. Where was Ron Groover scheduled to be last <laughs> night? The Dean Dome for Carolina, Miami. And as soon as that, that email popped last night, about two hours before game time, I was thinking, I wonder if he's in the building or, I mean, he could literally be in his rental car mm -hmm. on 15501 approaching Chapel Hill. And he, you know, he, he would have gotten the text. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy how these guys are living. Going game to game, hotel to hotel, rental car to rental car, team to team. And yet we haven't heard stories or, you know, much at all, really, about officials being taken out, about officials being sidelined. Are they just doing a great job? What's going on there? They, they are doing a great job. They've gotten lucky. Uh, Brian Kersey told me that he's from his ACC pool, he's lost about a handful of guys sporadically to positive tests. In fact, he told me he just lost one recently to a positive test and has one coming back from a, a positive diagnosis. None have had severe symptoms, so obviously that's a blessing. And among, he's got a pool of about 270 officials that he uses among this eight conference alliance that they have throughout the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic that includes the, the MEAC and the A-10 and the, I well, the Ivy's not playing this year, but the Northeast Conference of the Big East. And he said among that group, They've had, oh, upwards of a couple dozen positive COVID cases. So not not as prevalent as you would think. They they are they're getting the job done and they're getting to work the games. And you know, when they work the games, it's 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 interesting to watch. I've seen a few times where, you know, they a lot of them don't wear the mask 
while running the floor. They got to blow the no. whistle, all that. Um, but then when it's time to talk to a coach, you see them kind of fumbling in their pocket, trying to scramble the, especially if it's a slightly heated exchange. It's kind of fun to watch these guys. They want to yell back or respond or, you know, have their tete-a-tete with the coach there. And they've got to fumble to get the mask up over their face. David, you asked a number of the ACC coaches how interactions with officials have changed this season. And uh, I'm curious, did anything stand out to you in their answers? Well, to, to to neither of our surprise, Mike Bray was was great talking about it when he said, "You know, maybe this year is just a therapy session for, for coaches and officials, you know, to to kind of back off each other and be a little more understanding." You know, he didn't use this phrase, but you almost like a kumbaya, <laughs> and I should use that in in the column, but. And and yet other guys said no no, no real change and and that was kind of Groover's impression. He said guys who are mellow in a traditional season have remained that way. He said guys who officiate every possession they're still the same way. Mm. And he he laughed. I said, you know, since they're masked up and we can't read their lips or anything, I said, do they say even more vile things to you? (laughs) And and he he just laughed and said, no, not really. Or at least not that he can hear or see. Right. Uh, (laughs) He was willing to fess up about. Yeah. They might be mouthing it under the mask. It it is interesting. It's an interesting dynamic. And uh, I think we all want to keep our distance and not be shouting in each other's faces right now for, for virus concerns. So, uh, and honestly, not to get off on a side, but that's always been something that's bothered me in college sports. Uh, The football coach losing his mind on the, on the side judge, the basketball coach yelling and pointing. It, It doesn't happen in any other walk of life, right? If I'm upset with the cashier at the grocery store, I don't scream in their face. Uh, it, it doesn't happen anywhere else. And I, it, it's always kind of bugged me. And I, I know the officials can handle it. And, and I know the coaches um, chalk it up. And for the most part, they're great. And they talk about competitive uh, nature and fire. But I don't know, man, like if that's a outcome of, of the pandemic that we get less coaches screaming at officials, it just doesn't happen anywhere else in, in the American business world or life where you scream in someone's face when you're not happy with the job they did. And uh, I, I would love to see it go away and, and stay away after the pandemic. Yeah, basketball is is unique that way. I think e- even more so in, in, in baseball where, of course, you, you have these legendary moments when managers come out of the dugout and just go off on an umpire. But just the relentless interaction between officials and players and coaches in basketball, no sport is, is, is known for it as, as much as basketball. Absolutely. Well, thank you for listening to us. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the TD. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe, and please join David and me again next week. Music